This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Whether you love fast-paced road riding, sessioning single track, or exploring local tracks and trails, we can all benefit from a little adventure every once in a while. While the scale of that adventure might be different from everyone, from an overnighter credit card tour to a continental crossing bikepacking expedition, putting yourself out of your comfort zone can be super rewarding. In this episode, we explore how you can plan your own cycling adventure as part of our six-part series, helping you to make 2022 your best year on the bike ever. We've roped in some serial adventurers with guests Vidangi Kulkarni and Erwin Sickens and are joined by Bike Radar's own Jack Luke and Robin Furtado, who both have some silly adventures lined up this year. Adventure is central to Vidangi Kulkarni's life. As if relocating from her hometown in India to Bournemouth in the UK for university wasn't enough, at only 19, Vidangi rode the 29,000 kilometres around the world in just 160 days, becoming the youngest woman to have circumnavigated the world on a bicycle. Vidangi has since gone on to inspire many, launching her own expedition management business, The Adventure Shed, and recently hosted the pioneering Ride for Casey downhill race, the first downhill event in British cycling history to see a category for adapted bike racers racing on exactly the same course as standard categories. I'm also joined here in the podcast studio by two of BikeRadar.com's most avid adventure cyclists, videographer Robin Furtado and deputy editor Jack Luke. Welcome everybody and thank you for joining us. Thanks very much for having us, Catherine. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. Well, we have the really exciting topic today of adventure cycling, which I know we're all super into, and very different flavours as well. So perhaps, Vidangi, let's just start by talking about exactly what is adventure. It's obviously key to your everyday happiness, but what does it give you? I think it gives me purpose because... When I think about adventure, I am basically not trying to have it, if that makes sense. <laughs> uh, basically, it's enjoying my day-to-day -day outdoor activities, training or whatever it is. But it's something that helps me feel more myself without me trying to be it. And... Mm. It is, I, I've made it sound really weird, but I hope some <laughs> of that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think that's what adventure gives me really. And it's, it's basically, yeah, getting outside, being on the move, putting myself out of my comfort zone, but sometimes not too much. Sometimes 
that's what I enjoy. It's basically anything that involves being outside and not trying. It's it's basically the stuff that's happening with me and it's problem solving through through that experience of being outside. I call that an mm. adventure. And if you know me, you would know that every time someone asks me the, this question, I answer something different. So yeah, this is this is one for today. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So where did it all start for you, Vidangi? When did your sort of adventurous lifestyle really begin? Can you pinpoint that? Uh, yeah, so I used to play football back in my hometown. So I was in this club called Pune FC um, and it was India's first kind of professional football club for women kind of thing. And awesome. um, I was a goalkeeper and then eventually I got selected to go to like national level kind of stuff. And I was at one of those camps and... I remember thinking, geez, I don't think I'm going to get selected here. And I called my dad and I was like, right, like, what what should I do? I don't think I'm going to be selected. And I don't think I can actually go and ask because they are not allowed to tell us until the day of the selection. But me and my dad were looking at this route between Manali, um, which is um, in the lower Himalayas, Leh, which is the capital of Ladakh region of India, and Srinagar, which is, again, like, is it the capital of Kashmir region? I could be very wrong about this. I should know this <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and me and my dad, before I left for this um, football camp, we were looking at this route because I'd just come back from a shorter ride, a 60-kilometer ride, met someone, spoke about... Um, how wouldn't it be nice to do the full length of that route rather than just having done like 60 kilometers and that was over three days and I was like that wasn't enough I want more of that but then I had this football thing at home so I had to go and do that you know anyway mm. told my dad I was like right look I am going to call Youth Hostel Association of India I know they do tours like guided tours from Manali this place in lower Himalayas to Leh mm -hmm. and then they go on to do the what at the time was known as the highest motorable pass in the world it was like 18,600 feet I could be again wow. don't trust wow. me with numbers but it was something <laughs> like that it was more than 18,000 feet I can promise you that right anyway um, and they do guided tours around there and I wanted to do that but I was 17 and they basically told me that, yeah, you, you can't do that. You're too young for it. And mm -hmm. um, my dad tried um, to call them as well. He was like, I can find it on a paper that she will be fine. <laughs> you know, I can <laughs> if you want par parental consent, um, you know, I can I can give that. My wife will be happy to do that, too. Like, you know, just just let her join. And they were like, yeah, no, we can't do that. And so my dad had to give me that sad news whilst I was still at this camp, not having a fun time. Like, <laughs> I don't want to say I was being bullied, but I was a massive pushover. So people were asking me to wash their clothes and shit, and I was actually doing it. So uh, that gives some idea. Anyway, <laughs> I said to my dad, I was like, look, I want to do this alone. And I think I can do it, you know. And so basically he was like, yeah, cool, let's do this. And obviously I was 17, so he said, you know, you're, you're still quite young and this is still India. So how about me and your mum? Like, we, will, we won't see you. We'll only see you at the end of every day where you end up camping, where we have decided on the map. 
<laughs> you can be out there by yourself, do whatever you want, um, but we'll just we'll be around somewhere. You won't see us. And I was like, cool, deal. As long as as long as we are cool with that, let's do it. And so basically, that was like my introduction to to adventure cycling, I suppose, because oh my god, the research we did for that jesus like it wasn't there's one road honestly there aren't any routes to plan there is one road that goes across these indian himalayan passes and for that i needed so much route planning so much research i was like i'm gonna die out there that was like my attitude but anyway it was all useful and yeah man that was fun yeah but that was my introduction to adventure cycling or well adventure in itself really so obviously that trip went really well for you, um, as we're talking to you today, having done all sorts of incredible expeditions since. What was it on that trip that happened that made you think, wow, this is definitely for me, I want to do more of this? Um, I really enjoyed relying on myself for stuff. It was like mm -hmm. not being smug, but it was like being out there with like huge mountains next to me. I was like... Is it bad that I like it when the weather goes nuts? Is it bad that I'm liking it when it's like super windy and I'm like just there by myself? And I just remember that feeling where I was like, I've got this. I've got everything that I might need possibly to survive. Mm. And mm. that feeling was something that I really cherished because like I Growing up, I didn't have many friends or like with the football club. I wasn't like, I wasn't doing very well with the social side of things. And I, because of that, because of all those experiences, I had really low self-esteem. So being on a bike and being able to ride over a mountain pass, being able to mm. ride uphill for 25, 30, whatever kilometers, knowing that, oh, wow, like that was really hard. And I did that. I've got it in me. That feeling was what kept me at it. And that feeling is also what still keeps me at it. So, yeah. yeah. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I can attest to the fact that Vadangi does love it when the weather turns sour because mm -hmm. we both rode the West Kerno Way uh, last year together. And the last day was honestly dreadful weather, but we were both just there smiling and laughing away into the rain. And Robin is here nodding her head furiously. Oh, I was just, I, I really felt what you were saying about um, you suddenly you're like, oh, I believe in myself because suddenly you're like, my legs can like get me anywhere. There's like no, there's not really any limit anymore, is there? Um, so I've definitely felt that when you're cycling along and you suddenly realise how powerful you could be and like you, you, don't, you can only rely on yourself and all the equipment you have. So yeah, yeah I've definitely felt that. Isn't that incredibly empowering? Yeah. And I think a lot of people do find that when they go cycling that actually mm. that they don't, you don't need to rely on the things that you think you need to rely on in like normal life. Okay. So why don't you tell us, Robin, about your sort of introduction to adventure? Has it always been around cycling or have you come in from a different angle? Um, I do think cycling. I think my first like, my first like, oh, wow, I could do anything as I decided one weekend. We decided on like a Thursday we were going to cycle to Amsterdam. So <laughs> then... <laughs> as you Robin, do. Robin, that is so, so like you. That's amazing. <laughs> so the next day after work, we like cycled from London up to I think it's Harwich or something like that and that was like 50 60 miles which was fun hillier than we expected and then we got the overnight ferry and then we got into I think Hook Van Holland at like 
6 a.m. And then we had to cycle up to Amsterdam for that evening, um, wow. which was actually great. The worst thing was that when we got there at 6 a.m., there was like nowhere open for breakfast. Oh, and we were just cycling no. and cycling and cycling, getting more like bonking more and more and more, being like, <laughs> we just need some food. Um, but we made it and it was so great. When we arrived, we were like, wow, we like cycled to a whole different capital city. This is just like mm. so exciting. Um, yeah. So I think that was the start of it. And then it kind of like snowballed on from there. Like you can just keep cycling, keep cycling. So, yeah. And that's the amazing thing, isn't it? When you, especially with these A to B rides, you look at where you started and when you finished. And it could literally be like crossing a whole country or even a continent. Exactly. How about yourself, Jack? How did you get into adventure, or more specifically adventure cycling? Mm, I kind of, I grew up very rural in the Scottish Highlands and, you know, outdoors life was always a big part of my life growing up. And I was very fortunate in my dad is very into mountaineering and climbing and hill walking. And I did lots and lots of that growing up. And cycling was sort of on my periphery for a long time. But I uh, actually, true story, was sort of into skateboarding for a while. But one day decided, <laughs> one day decided to buy a copy of MBUK, one of our sister Whoa. publications. So I would have been about <laughs> 10 or 11. And, and I got really, really into mountain biking for a very, very long time. And I think just as I got a bit older, a bit more confident, I was really into touring before bike packing was even a thing. Hey, did lots and lots of, did lots of uh, you know, really heavily laden uh, touring, primarily through uni, and I just absolutely loved it. Mm. Um, you know, not to sort of dwell on it too much, but, you know, through my sort of studies and my general interests, I'm quite interested in the built environment and sort of how humans... Uh, change the landscape for their own needs in general. That, that was sort of my background interest in in their landscape and viewing it. And cycling is the perfect medium in which to sort of experience lots and lots of pa- places at just the right pace that you see these changing landscapes mm. and, uh, you know, small changes in towns in particular between uh, town to town. And And that, for me combined with at the time photography at uni was the sort of perfect happy medium between the two and then I did a lot lot more sort of you know proper daft bikepacking adventures a bit more ambitious we'll say in terms of physicality but I've gone full circle now and my uh, adventure cycling amounts to no more than well, I say no more but amounts to touring <laughs> on the tandem with Laura fully laden Good old Cecil. Oh, yeah. it's honestly I as the highlight of the last couple of years has to be the the touring we've done on the tandem last time we took a chopping board and a collapsible sieve to sort of give you an idea of how wow. luxurious yeah. our adventure like cycling glamping. is. Glamping. <laughs> glamping, but you have to carry it all up Glam the hills. Glamping. Glampacking. Oh, yeah. Whoa. You heard it ha- here first. Hashtag incoming. That's incredible. <laughs> so yes, that's that for me is sort of my my grounding in adventure cycling. So for anyone listening, I think there's a lot of adventurous experience here. But can you cast your mind back? to the really early days of adventure, like perhaps before you knew exactly what sort of kit might be really useful to take or before you got really good at creating good routes. Can, have you got any fun little anecdotes for us? I think just because you touched on it, Robin, I think for me the thing that really revolutionised my adventure cycling in inverted commas was uh, eating. Eating <laughs> uh, well and regularly 
and correctly will say, you know, I think particularly when I was younger and a younger and a ravenous young man uh, growing up, <laughs> I had such a, a bad growing lad. a growing lad <laughs> had such a bad habit of under eating, not through any sort of like conscious decision. Just I don't think you realise quite how. Uh, exhausting it is to be outside all day long in kind of mixed and inclement weathers and just being active for yeah, a full day. Yeah. You know, if you haven't done that before, it's so, so different as an experience. Uh, and I think is, I mean, slightly different example, but I think Emily Chappell described uh, long distance cycling as an eating competition. And that is definitely <laughs> something I've learned over the years yeah. more than anything else. Sign me up. <laughs> I definitely agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How about yourself, Adangi? I'm sure you sort of had lots of early experiences where perhaps you didn't nail it first time. Oh, I never nailed it first time. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, so again, when I, when I moved here, I was like only... I'd just turned 18. I came here and I was like, this is going to be great. I don't know anyone. We're starting from scratch. This is going to be the best time of my life because, you know... No one to hold you accountable. Your parents aren't there to tell you anything. And yeah, so that is exactly what went wrong because I was just like, cool, I'm going to go overnight to Portsmouth and back from, from Bournemouth. Or I would be like, oh, can I ride to Exeter from here? I have heard a lot about this Exeter place. I don't know anything about it. And then again, like I would just literally find random places on on maps. That was also my introduction to OS maps. And then I remember getting that map and I was just like circling random places. I was like, so how do I get here now? Like, you know, maybe, maybe I can get, uh, find, find my way there. And then instead of going to the app or anything, I was just like, no, 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 Google maps. And, um, yeah, I, and I, I vaguely remember someone had told me that, yeah, so try and ride on A roads, but no one told me that A roads that are dual carriageways are also a no-go. So you would find me riding on stuff like A31, which is like this dual <laughs> carriageway that goes to London, or uh, one of my first um, navigational errors and also one of my, like, one of my longest rides when I first came here, when I didn't know actually, like, you know, how long was long enough. Anyway, I went out and I was like, yeah, I could I could do 100k. I could go to Southampton and then this other place and, you know, just kind of loop, loop back. Anyway, ended up on um, M27. Yeah, M27. Oh, because, oh, no. Yikes. Because, like, hear me out. The reason I went there was because that hard shoulder... Oh my God, that looks like a bike lane to anyone who doesn't know anything about the UK. My goodness, I I was there. I was having the best time because it's not bumpy or anything. It's smooth. It's smoother than, you know, your your normal B road. So I was like, this is perfect. Um, people were honking at me and I thought they were like, wow, she's got... She's got balls. She's riding on M Road kind of thing. And I thought they were saying hello. They were being nice to me. But yeah, that was just stupid. I wasn't a meant to be there. A learning curve. That's but yeah, that incredible. was like... <laughs> It's such a good story. It's so valid though, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Very direct, tra almost traffic-free lane. Yeah. Not, not, for anyone listening, not recommended. Yeah, not, not no. recommended. Maybe illegal. Especially on like the 831, I remember I was like very confidently riding there and I was like, it's fine. As long as you're riding, you're safe. I was like telling that to myself. And these huge lorries would pass inches away from me really quick. Um, 
And I, I didn't think much of it. I was like, hey, if this was in India, I would have been knocked off by now. And again, like, <laughs> not, not in a funny way, but I was like, I'm in the UK. Of course I'm safe. Again, like, for someone coming from that side of the world, like, anything in the UK was safe and, mm. you know, much safer for me. You know, I, I think, yeah, that's how I would put it. But, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> no emeralds, <laughs> no dual carriageways. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. <laughs> Robin, do you have any early memories that you sort of look back on and perhaps slightly cringe or find quite entertaining or were you a seasoned pro from the very beginning no I definitely wasn't a seasoned <laughs> pro from the beginning <laughs> I remember so when I first a couple about like six years ago now I did a big trip where I rode down the west coast of America and oh, wow. um I, for wow. some reason didn't didn't bring a fo- like a phone with me like I think Google Maps existed on a phone back then I can't really remember but I didn't have a phone with me and I did the whole thing with the paper map and so like if you That's got impressive. lost you had to like find yourself on a paper map which is actually really bad and I'm not very good at map reading so you have to spend your time like going up to random people and being like where am I on this map and they have to like redirect you back to like the main road um and nowadays obviously Mm-hmm. Everything is done with like Camus or like yeah. Google Maps or whatever. And um, I, I never, ever use a map anymore. But um, it was a skill that you learn. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so- it's easy to take GPS and these sorts of navigational devices for granted. My sort of like adventurous stuff kicked off doing Duke of Edinburgh Award at school and it was all hiking and you weren't allowed to have a phone, which maybe uh, shows a sign of my age, but we didn't, you know, have... Uh, internet on phones or anything like that so it wouldn't have even helped you anyway um, <laughs> but uh, yeah I, I wouldn't really imagine bike packing, especially now with a paper map unless it was just out of interest to see you know what certain mountains were or something as you were going along there's that old style isn't there where you have like the front bag with like the plastic mm. cover and yeah. you have the map like underneath <laughs> and if you ride too fast you have to stop every five minutes and take it out and refold it <laughs> I remember at London, Edinburgh, London in 2017, that was, again, that was one of my first, like, proper long-distance adventures. And I remember having this piece of paper with a couple of rubber bands attached to my forearm. And um, it was laminated, well, not laminated, laminated. It was in a plastic bag. Um, (laughs) And basically it had names of the towns I should come across on there. And it had all the, you know kind of waypoints and cues written in there. And I remember thinking, Amazing. wow, why have I never done this before? And then I realized, oh, yeah, that's because I've got a phone. It tells me exactly where I am. I've never needed to use it. And even then, I don't need to use it. But I found it so much fun to just, like, look at that and be like, what's an obelisk? And then I would see something of a weird shape. And I was just like, maybe that's an obelisk. And then, you know, just a random person sitting there having his coffee or something and being like, hey, do you know what an obelisk is? It says on my map and I don't I don't know. I'm meant to take a left from there. But, you know, it was it, it was really fun. And, yeah, I, w- I would do it if I had to <laughs> did you uh, Did you just say that was London, Edinburgh, London you did? Yeah, yeah. Um, Would you like to say what that is? Because that is uh... (laughs) a very long ride. (laughs) Yeah, it was. um, It was an Audax event. Again, I didn't know what Audax was. I just knew 
it, it's a fun French word, I think. <laughs> That's what I thought of it anyway. Um, and I had signed up to this as a training ride for this round the world thing I was going to do. And I was like, wouldn't it be fun to do this? Like it's 1400 kilometers. You're meant to do it in five days. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going to do it in 100 hours. I don't know what's my obsession with 100, because when I said I was going to ride my bike around the world, I had also said I was going to do that in 100 days. Anyway, back to London, <laughs> Edinburgh, London. I was like, I'm going to do this in 100 hours. I'm going to smash this. I'm, I got this. I was like really confident about it. Um, having never actually done this thing where, you know, ride through the night and things like that. So like I had never done that out of... Um, not out of choice, but like, I never had to do that. Like, you know, I did that because, hey, I can't sleep. Maybe I should ride to Portsmouth. It was like kind of that rather than, oh, my God, if I have to make the next checkpoint, I have to ride through the night. I had never experienced that. So, yeah, London, Edinburgh, London was a lot of that. And I, the highlight of that was, again, it's going from London to Edinburgh and back. And I don't know how many checkpoints there are in between, but it's kind of like an out and back route. But um, my highlight from that event was that I dislocated my knee. So I fell asleep on the bike. I don't know what happened, but I ended up in a ditch and my knee didn't look right. And I didn't know what time of the day it was or what day it was, full stop. So I was like, cool, what do I do about this? And I had phone signal, but it didn't occur to me that, oh, hey, I could actually go on Google Maps and see where the nearest A&E is or whatever. I was like, no, 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 YouTube. So YouTube no, had to no, no, no. <laughs> put my knee back in place. Um, not sure... It, it just it was something painful experience i like that's all i remember about it but uh, <laughs> i i hobbled to this um checkpoint and i told them that i did something like this but i'm not sure like you know i still want to keep riding anyway i got i got disqualified and all that but um oh, i was so I, I just it was horrible to know that my knee wasn't one piece it was like yeah not not right wow, it just listening. looked horrible That's so upsetting. they didn't sign up for this <laughs> they, when they took me to a and e they had to take it out again and put it back in again and that oh, was the God. most horrible sight that i've ever seen i was like is that actually my body is it is that, is that oh. real but anyway i don't think i'd be able to look no <laughs> we promise not all adventure cycling uh, is like that <laughs> yeah but I think it's a really, really valid point in that, like, it kind of comes in the name with adventure cycling, like, the road ahead of you is not always smooth, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and you should expect some bumps along the way. And that's kind of part of the deal, right? It's like the problem solving and learning how to get over that. Yeah, I absolutely think so. I think even from a mechanical perspective, that's it. We talked about it a bit with um, Vicky. Or maybe that'll be an episode after this. Indeed. An episode after this, uh, (laughs) talking about sort of the sense of independence and sort of self-empowerment you get from mechanical know-how. And I think with adventure cycling, being prepared for that aspect of things, I think should be embraced because it's, yeah, it's that sort of getting yourself out of a sticky situation is a really satisfying experience, but also feeling prepared for it as well. Definitely. Anybody else have any sticky situations that they've overcome? No, nothing as gnarly as, as that is <laughs> no. the knee story, please. <laughs> 
just thinking. I um, can't remember. I think the only thing I can think of is um, I was going quite fast down a hill. This is on the same tour I was, I was talking about before. And um, I was following quite close behind. Um, I think it was my sister who was in front of me. And then there was like a big rock in the road. And I, uh, she avoided it. But I was going, I couldn't see it. And I, I hit it. Um, and it was, it, I, I managed to stay on the bike. But it was one of those things where you could like, it, it like dented the rim and like completely lost mm. all the air. We were in the middle of absolutely nowhere. So it was like, right, we're going to have to just like fix this. So we had Budget. to like, yeah, we just had to like try and get the rim out enough that the the tire would like hold onto it, which was like, we just were like bashing it. But mm. we did manage it in the end. Um, and then, yeah, just like kept going for another, another like 10 miles to the next town. Um, it was fine in the end. Wow. <laughs> I think that rim's still got a dent in it. It's fine. It still works. <laughs> Amazing. I had a very embarrassing one, actually, that I will share. Um, I went on a, I think it was my first sort of proper solo cycle tour. And it was 10 days from the south coast of the UK across on a ferry to France to see the Tour de France in Normandy. And then along through Brittany and back over the ferry to Plymouth. And I got a bit overexcited in Cherbourg after I think stage two of um, of the tour. I had one too many um, beverages and ended up losing my phone. Mm. But not only did I lose my phone, in the back of my phone case was my bank card. Ooh. Classic. So I spent the next uh, seven or eight days on a very tight budget because I <laughs> thankfully had um, 200 euros in cash that I'd stowed away on my bike. Um, so on a very tight budget, I spent quite a lot of that on a sort of really naff GoPro type thing, a cheap ripoff. Um, because of course, when you're on holiday, you need to learn. You know, you need to have your your holiday snaps. Mm. Where you're going content learn. never sleeps. <laughs> never does. And um, on a strict budget and each day I got to my Airbnb and I would book ahead for the next night but it was actually a really amazing experience because I didn't have my phone with me I couldn't contact anyone at home even though this was quite a scary experience for me so um, Mm -hmm. traveling solo I'd buy a paper map because I couldn't access Google Maps or anything like that and it just really focused me to like look around me and soak it all in and yeah, hmm. I guess I got really got that sense of independence. The bad bit was I spent my last euro on the ferry back uh, to Plymouth on some M&Ms. And, uh, oh, this is really <laughs> awful. Just thinking about it makes me feel slightly sick. I had to ride from Plymouth back to my hometown in Exeter over Dartmoor, and I had no food. Uh-huh. I'd stayed overnight in some student accommodation because it was cheap on Airbnb. And I said to the guy, is there any chance you've got any kind of food that I could take with me just so I can actually fuel myself to get back to Exeter? And he was like, oh, no, I'm really sorry. We're just all about to move out. So we've been clearing everything out. We don't have much food. I do have this frozen garlic baguette. (laughs) 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 So off I went climbing up onto Dartmoor with a tinfoil wrapped frozen garlic baguette you didn't cook it slowly thawing in my pocket oh my god the more I was like oh no I'm gonna have to eat it otherwise I'm gonna bonk what's worse like slightly crunchy frozen raw garlic baguette or baguette lolly yeah it was bad it was bad but in hindsight quite funny compromise breeds adventure you know (laughs) and you made it so you know yeah (laughs) definitely had some better cuisine in France I can confirm (laughs) So now that we've really sold the idea of adventure cycling with all of our faux pas, <laughs> garlic baguettes and dislocated knees, what would you say to somebody who might be listening who's never really tried adventure cycling, whether that's like a local overnighter or a proper big tour, 
if they want to give it a go this year, what would be your first piece of advice? Uh, I think I would say do like something short and easy. So there's lots of like uh, routes online. So something like Cycling UK has lots of like little routes that you could do that are quite easy and close to home. Um, And try and plan something where you've got lots of get out clauses I think mm. so if along the way if you know that there's like there's a train station here so if I, I can't go any further I'll get on the train or like oh there's a town here so if I'm in trouble or I don't have enough food then I can stop there and just make sure that like you plan really carefully that if anything happens you've got like a way out <laughs> definitely that's very solid advice I think for me I you know I'm a very experienced cyclist but what I find more stressful than anything else and I imagine this is true of anyone starting out is the logistical side of of um getting ready for an overnight trip literally just laying everything out and planning where i'll be just that's what uh m- kind of winds me up so i think as uh, robin says doing something more local and accessible where it's not the absolute end of the world if you've forgotten something is definitely where i would start also if you want to kind of minimize your um faff and the amount of equipment needed and you just want to try things out i would highly recommend particularly if you're in the uk uh, trying a overnight bothy adventure mm. as, a, as a top tip mm. bothies for those of you that don't know are uh kind of open shelters in the uk which are primarily managed by a charity called the mountain bothies association and they have a full list of them across the uk on their website but they're unmaintained well lightly maintained shelters with no running water, you know, no heating, nothing like that. Usually just an open fire and a, a roof over your head. But if you have that, all you really need is a sleeping bag in terms of overnight equipment if you want to go minimal. And I think if you don't have the kit, that's a great way to try things out and get you hooked. Um, if you would like to see a Bothy Adventure, we did a really good video, I think three years ago now on Bike Radar, where myself, uh, Matthew Loveridge, formerly of this parish, and Felix Smith, we went and did a little overnighter to the UK's smallest bothy in Wales. And it is ah. honestly, I still think, my favourite video we've ever made for Bike Radar. It is a really shockingly wholesome piece of content. It's really, <laughs> really good. But that would be Shockingly my, wholesome. That would be my top tip. <laughs> Fabulous. That's How about yourself, Fee? Um, well, I like the idea of doing the cycling UK routes and all, but I think... The first adventure should be something that's personalised to what you feel, um, mm. what what intrigues you. So, like, um, I really, I would definitely recommend first having kind of the basic experience of, you know, the basic know-how of, oh, yeah, like, what happens if I get a puncture kind of know-how, but also... Again, like knowing the train stations along the way and stuff. But the first adventure, if you are looking at a map and you're going, you know what, this place with a really funny name, I want to see what's there. <laughs> I think having that, having that personalized touch to the route is such a huge motivator when you don't feel mm. like keeping on going with your route or whatever i i really like the idea of it and i have personally found that it actually it actually works because um yeah and and i think having that personal touch to the route along with having the bail points as you suggested uh yeah that's an absolute goer and um 
after what you said, Catherine, I, I would definitely recommend always having some cash with you. <laughs> <laughs> and not relying on technology too much um yeah. and something mm. that is very random again like super random probably like no one does this anymore but yeah the emergency blanket and head torch those are like mm. the two non-negotiables they come with me everywhere even on a mountain bike ride like you know a local training ride or whatever i would again take a uh, emergency blanket and a head torch um 100%. you know just in case the yeah. ride goes through the night or something but yeah <laughs> again this is probably like a bunch of random things um but yeah that's my advice no that's really cool mm. i think the um the kit and equipment side of things can be so overwhelming mm. especially with bike packing exploding in popularity there's just it just appears like there's so many things that you need but actually when you're starting out especially if you start in summer you're more likely to be warm though don't scrimp yes. on the waterproofs <laughs> it it just yeah there's not quite so much that you need there but what would you say are the essentials or do you have any top tips for how you can get into this sort of adventure cycling on a budget Second hand, you know, it's so easy to fall into a trap of of scrolling endlessly, even through somewhere like Amazon or AliExpress, where, yeah, sure, you can get tons and tons of really cheap stuff. The second hand market for camping gear is is ripe. There's so, so much yeah. you can get there, particularly because, you know, if we think of the, we'll call them the camping enthusiast sphere or, or hiking, they're just exactly the same as cyclists. We're all tech magpies and people <laughs> love to buy the latest and greatest and replace it. Yeah. Uh, they're old stuff. So I think as you would with bike parts, kind of looking on eBay and the likes for secondhand kit, top tip for me, most of my, I would say almost all my uh, outdoorsy gear is probably secondhand. Yeah, I've got a great sleeping bag that I got, probably worth a couple of hundred quid, I got for 40 quid on Facebook Marketplace. Oh, nice. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think also linking to that is like, um, you can you can do adventures with like anything. You don't need like a very expensive bike or like mm. proper bags that are gonna like attach to your proper bike packing bags or anything. You you can just do it, you know, with like a, a rack on your bike and you can just like bun oops, sorry, you can just like bungee cord the bag onto the back of the bike and that's still the same thing, isn't it? So absolutely. Like uh, there's there's always this thing that you have to kind of look the right way, but you can still have an adventure and like be using stuff you already have. So uh, yeah, I think you can still get out there and do things. Yeah, I had a nice photo memory the other day um, come up on my phone of my first bike packing tour, which I was um, age 18, just after finishing my A-levels. And we did the Devon coast to coast, which is 100 miles of mostly sort of cycleway and some quiet lanes. Did it with three other friends. And we all had 65 litre rucksacks, oh, which yeah. I nice. happened to have from my Duke of Edinburgh training. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Just stuffed to the tilt with the one very floral Kath Kidston tent. <laughs> which is, you know, you can legally wild camp on Dartmoor, but that's really putting it out there. And, um, and yeah, stoves and all sorts. Yeah, it was hilarious. It's fun, right? <laughs> yeah, slightly sore back by the end of it. But, you know, it worked. I uh, sorry, I'm really tickled by the thought of you sleeping in a floral kind of printed Kathkins. <laughs> yeah, it was tent. fabulous, darling. I, don't, don't know. <laughs> I, I just on the bags thing. When I did my first proper tour, I was I was far too concerned with looking the part, and I went to an Aldi in Edinburgh at like I guess it would have been half seven or something when it opened because I knew the specials that day included 
um, <laughs> loads of panniers and, and uh, touring gear. And I went and I got in. There was a genuine like fight, a rabble to get all this kit. And I, I bought four of these panniers and I thought, great, they're cheap orc leaves. And I went on a tour at the time uh, to France and I'd got the, uh, the Eurostar into Paris and we had to wait a couple hours to um, get a train out out of town to carry on with our tour. The first curb we went off, no, the hooks on the panniers just went snap. Oh. And, both of them, and both of them fell on the ground and they were absolutely useless. They were oh. such bad bags. I would have been better strapping on bags to my pannier rack. So oh, good no. advice from Robin. I ended up lashing them on. with. I had like a length of strap, which I cut down into... I don't know, let's say it was a metre. And slowly but surely, as all the bags broke on the tour, it just got shorter and shorter, <laughs> tying them up onto the rack. Oh, so, God. <laughs> yeah. Good good facts. Oh, dear. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, I think um, borrowing stuff from people who have done something that you want to do, it means that you get to, like, you know, have a chat with them and kind of be like, you know, ask your questions and then just sneakily just be like hey and I'm also looking for some kit and you know this is this is kind of the stuff that I think I need but what would you recommend and then obviously they have all these recommendations about oh yeah like you can put water in a dry bag and I remember someone told that to me and I was like what's a dry bag then because I I had no (laughs) idea about that either anyway um but yeah kind of borrowed stuff also has that you know, memory of having spoken to that person, learned from someone mm. um, that you look up to and stuff like that. So I'm really, um, yeah, very much in with borrowing stuff and taking layers, many, many layers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I would go for a good layering system any day over a really, really thick coat. Although if mm. that keeps me cozy, I'm not saying no. <laughs> yeah, good puffy jacket is an essential, isn't it? Yeah. It certainly is for me. I think what you said there about tapping into other people's knowledge, people that have been there and done it before. I've been really, really lucky to hang out with a few friends locally who have done loads of different adventures, whether that's cycling specific or hiking all over the world. And you can learn from their mistakes, probably not quite as effective as making them yourself first. <laughs> um <laughs> But this kind of knowledge, sort of gear recommendations or the know-how, it's so great if you've got somebody like that locally or you could uh, go on like a guided trip. I know there's quite Mm -hmm. a few places in Mm -hmm. the UK and abroad that do offer guided bikepacking or touring thing. And just be a sponge, like learn from these people, ask loads of questions because nobody's going to turn around and say, oh, no, I don't want to share my years of experience (laughs) with you, are they? (laughs) People I find are more than happy to share. I I totally agree with you on that. I think um, when I was planning around the world, I literally, I had a list of people. I had made a spreadsheet of people that I think would have a lot of advice about these things. And the spreadsheet had stuff like, okay, what's their name? What's their email ID or Instagram handle or whatever? And what did I ask them? What did they say about it? And yeah, coming back and looking at that spreadsheet, I was like, a spreadsheet. I was kind of like, this is fascinating. Like mm-hmm. some of the stuff that I learned, all of it put together 
probably meant that I came back alive. You know, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was so useful. And people are always so, so, so keen to help out with things and just, yeah, share their knowledge. Nice. Mm. And you work with a lot of people now, Vidangi, through the Adventure Shed, which is your expedition management business. Do you find that there's a recurring theme that people keep coming back to when they're planning these big adventures that is perhaps stopping them or something that they're particularly anxious about? Um, yeah. So <laughs> uh, I'm working with like seven odd clients right now who are all doing like really massive expeditions. And the thing that that's holding them back is either like funnily enough, somehow this is really a problem, but like it's either kit or money. And mm. it's interesting, like obviously for big adventures, you do need money. But at the same time, the amount of stuff that's, said, that's to be said about kit, I just find it fascinating because when you can borrow it, hire it and things like that, um, more people are still inclined to own it. And mm. obviously I can, I can see the point in that because if you want to keep doing stuff that's similar, it makes sense. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, it kind of doesn't make sense if you always want to, um, I don't know. Yeah, just that, that just stands out quite a bit because everyone wants to get that North Face, um, what like that Arctic <laughs> kit and yeah. stuff like that. And I'm always like, if I was going there, I would borrow it and it wouldn't hurt my ego at all to not have owned it at all. But anyway, mm. that's one. But financial side of it, oh my God, like it costs nearly 70 grand to do an expedition in the South Pole, um, nearly 50 grand to do stuff in the Arctic region and like nearly 50 odd grand to do anything in Greenland and stuff like that. Um, and, oh my God, raising money, that's got to be the hardest thing mm. for most people who are doing these expeditions. So yeah, that's something that I see that people keep coming back to yeah that mm. makes me feel quite good about my little like jolly around the southwest then on my bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or maybe pushing the boat out and literally getting the ferry across to france <laughs> well i'd love to hear what everyone's adventures for this year are oh that's cards. a great way to end how what, what have we got on the cards from you oh so i've signed up for highland trail 550 um oh cool <gasps> uh, <laughs> um i'm doing silk road mountain race as well and I've got Fantastic. a, I've got a world first expedition plan, but um, it, this could happen next year. This is not strictly for this year, um, but it's to uh, cycle across Svalbard. Um, oh my and, goodness! Yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'm, I'm like <laughs> genuinely scared about it because, um, yeah, I don't know if I've mentioned this in any previous thing, but I have an experience where I got chased by a bear and I would rather <laughs> not have it again <laughs> especially when oh gosh, I know that sure. the bear is actually there to eat me and not just to attack me you know um but <laughs> but yeah so that's that's kind of what's what's planned for my year but that's just the adventurous bit there's a lot of other stuff that I'm doing as well amazing how about you Robin what have you got planned this year um, nothing as exciting as, as any of that. <laughs> um, 
Uh, definitely let's do some back bike packing trips. I think we were thinking about um, going over to France because things we're allowed to go back over to France Woo! this year oh, again. Nice. Um, so probably down to the Alps. Oh, um, there is one big trip that I was wanted to do. Um, I want to do a coast to coast in every country in Great Britain. So that would be Scotland, uh, Northern Ireland, Wales, England, but then like mm. one day after each other. So you have to go across Scotland and then get the ferry from oh, Northern Ireland. Oh, my goodness. And then, yeah, and then so trying to wear that one out. <laughs> I think that sounds really fun. And I like really like just spending ages looking at maps and being like, what would be the best route for this? What's got the least hills? What's <laughs> like, how, how do I link all these ferries together? Um, Sounds so, like a logistical nightmare to me. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if that's what you want to do. <laughs> I can't like just trying to work it out. Um, so hopefully that, uh, but we'll see. That awesome. sounds really fun. I would like to do, a, I will be doing a slow speed, fully loaded uh, tour around the Outer Hebrides with Laura on the tandem at some point this year. And I can't wait. Oh, that sounds nice. glorious. Very Lots of ferries. Low stress, low ambition, high value in terms of Instagram <laughs> content. I couldn't ask for <laughs> more. Yeah. Will you be taking your chopping board and collapsible sieve yes, all I, the way to the Hebrides? I suspect we will. I also really think what might elevate, uh, we will have to give up something for this, but I think mm. two of those ultra lightweight, very, very small folding uh, camping chairs. Oh, very oh, nice. I, I think that would really, really... <laughs> take things to the next level but Absolutely. I think that's that's on our shopping list this year nice, cool. nice. what about you <laughs> that's so cool um I don't I have to confess have anything planned but that doesn't mean that nothing will happen I really really love the spontaneous bike pack mm. the nice. one where somebody says hey what are you doing next week and I say Oh, I've actually got nothing on. <laughs> and you just end up doing like, yeah, that's how I ended up doing the Second City Divide, which was an awesome route um, across England and Scotland. And some of the best adventures that I remember have been really last minute and you end up making these mm. incredible bonds with the people that you're riding with. Nice. Um, so, yeah, watch this space, I guess. <laughs> nice. Lovely. Great. Well, thank you all very much. I'm certainly really stoked about um, what's coming up this year. And I hope that if anybody is listening and they feel even the slightest bit inclined, um, then they might take on some of the advice and experience um, that we've, the, the vast amount of ex advice and experience that we've got <laughs> in this room and give it a go for themselves. Next up, we're chatting to a great friend of mine from across the channel in the Netherlands. So I first met this rider when he was one of the photographers at a Shimano GRX press launch. And honestly, we got on like a house on fire because he's one of the friendliest and most enthusiastic people you'll ever meet. So besides being an all-round good egg, Erwin Sickens is a very keen gravel rider, bike packer, Cannondale ambassador, who describes his riding as party pace. He's just taken part in his first ultra event, taking on the Grand Guanche Ordax Trail route, which covers over 800 kilometres across the Canary Islands, which look like really tough going, but also a lot of fun. Back home in the Netherlands, he's a route plotter behind the new Green Divide route too, which takes in over 300 kilometres of the finest Dutch gravel. Thanks for joining us, Owen. How are you doing? Hey, hey, Catherine. I'm doing good. Thanks. <laughs> and you? <laughs> Yeah, really good. Thank you. I'm getting quite inspired with all this talk of adventure and, you know, sitting here in the office in February, thinking about all the exciting things we could get up to this summer. It's like, feels like we're finally getting to the end of the winter, which has been about 12 months long. <laughs> <laughs> so you do winters? Oh, yeah, we have winters. Yeah. We have winters here in the UK. I'm sure it's been pretty um, grim for you over there, too. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't really do cycling seasons. I, I ride all year long anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, doesn't phase you, does it? Uh, no, not really, actually. No, no. <laughs> so 
What does adventure mean to you? <laughs> uh, diving straight in. I, <laughs> yeah, um, why not? I don't know. It's, it's probably anything that gets you out of the house and out of the ordinary that could be adventure. So it's probably mm-hmm. easy to say go and, and go abroad, uh, do something really big. But I think adventure can also be something really small in your backyard, as long as it gets you going and gets you out of the house. Yeah, just doing something different and outside and exactly challenging yourself. Awesome. And I know that you're like always on the go, out on the bike, doing these sorts of things. So how do you fit this adventure into your everyday life? Um, well, I'm, I'm lucky enough that this is actually part of my job as well. Um, mm. I'm a photographer in cycling, so I do a lot of my work on the bike, actually, bringing my camera on the back. Um, but also, as a freelancer, I go out and actually write about crazy adventures I go on. So, yeah, I, I try to <laughs> make a, going on an adventure as much uh, part of my work as I can. And then, I don't know, it's my, it's, it's my, my core thing to just be out there and... Uh, mm breathe in the air. So I make as much time as I can for it anyway. That's rad. For anyone who's had the joy of riding with Erwin when he's got his camera, it's honestly something to behold. Like I thought I was talented riding along with one hand with my phone out of my pocket taking photos. Erwin's just there with a full-size DSLR, like (laughs) snapping away and everything's in perfect focus, which is mad. (laughs) I don't know how you do it, but you know, that's why you're a professional. So there we go. Thanks. So um, one thing that always makes me giggle about you is you describe your riding as party pace. What exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, I don't know. Whatever that means. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's actually, I don't know. I I think I stole the quote from John Woodruff, uh, which is uh, someone that's also into cycling and lives in Amsterdam. Um, And I don't think he knows what it means either. Um, But I like the sound of it. And I Mm. guess it means that I basically just want to have fun on my bike. Um, And that can mean anything. Like party pace can mean actually partying on the bike, actually even bringing alcohol into the game if necessary. (laughs) Uh, But it could also be like flying over a gravel trail or something and, and, Mm. and, and riding really fast. As long as you're having fun, it's not about racing with me. Yeah, that sounds really cool. It sounds definitely more like an attitude than a like 16 to 18 miles an hour range sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. So you've done some amazing bikepacking trips all over Europe um, that always look stunning in your photos. Um, Has there been any particular area or any particular route that's been your favourite? You know, faraway places obviously really uh, come to mind. If you if you ask mm. me that, but I think that the more mainstream um, uh, adventures are actually the ones I like best because they're so low. Yeah, like I said, low entry. You can just go out and do them. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. we're, I, I've been to, for instance, Andalusia in south of Spain, and I really really loved it over there. It's like a gravel heaven. Yeah. Um, and I've been to the Nordics <laughs> and I've been to all these these European places, UK as well. I really love Scotland, for instance. Um, yeah. But just like go abroad, uh, just across. I live in Arnhem. So I live like 20 minutes from the German border. 
And there are these crazy forests in Germany with uh, shelter, like shelters, like huts in the forest. And it's so easy to just go out and go for a, an overnighter or a weekend bikepacking mm -hmm. trip or something and be really be gone. And that's something that feels really special living in the Netherlands with all these people living on a stamp. <laughs> I think that sounds quite similar to a lot of the UK or at least England. Um, and of course, you experienced in Scotland a lot of the bothies. Is that a similar sort of thing to these huts in the German forests? I, I guess so. How are they different? Not, 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 not exactly because the bothies are actually, well, actual homes or houses like built as as such and and meant to 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 give shelter to people actually overnight as well and i think in germany it's more like you find these wooden huts sometimes just a roof on poles um but you'll find them in the middle of the forest and it's more of a way to actual give give actually give shelter to hikers say in a rainstorm or something um, but you can definitely use them for bikepacking as well so what I really wanted to talk to you about was the fact that you've been bikepacking for a really long time, I think, and like had all these amazing experiences and stuff, but then you've taken it upon yourself to make a route of your own. What was the inspiration behind the Green Divide? Um, that's actually a passion project of mine for a couple of years already. Um, I, I, I moved to Arnhem, where I live now, and... If you know the Netherlands, it's 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 quite small and flat and a lot of meadows. Um, and then we have in the center of our country, the biggest forest. Um, it's like 100 kilometers long from north to south and goes a little bit into the east as well. And that kind of like that national park, uh, the south side of it is actually attached to the some of the parks in Arnhem where I live. So okay. I kind of got me like got me thinking you can just ride into a park close to where i live and be gone in the forest and nature for over 100 kilometers uh riding in like one direction that was the general idea this was kind of a uh it fascinated me that you could drive such a big dis distance in our little country uh in one go in one direction all green all nature that kind of well, grew into this quality 300 kilometer ride because if you start looking into something, you'll find more. Um, and it actually became quite a buzz. So how was that process for you? Like, obviously, spend, you've spent several years working on this. Did you recce certain sections and then find that they were terrible? You'd have to backtrack and go different directions. What was the process behind it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, the first edition actually was, a, was a, in, in hindsight, a terrible idea. <laughs> um, my, my, my idea was to, to start in the city park in Arnhem and go all the way north to this town called Zwolle. That's where you actually leave the forest again. Um, and I didn't want to see any civilization whatsoever in between. Um, but that also means that you don't find any civilization. So <laughs> I didn't find any water. I didn't find any food. <laughs> and if you do 110 kilometers, which it was the first time, uh, also littered with horse tracks and everything you don't want to see on your bike, uh, it wasn't a really good ride. <laughs> Especially when I I did it like midsummer, so it was quite hot that day. And I think I was out of water after one hour of riding. Um, so yeah, um, I, I I definitely had some some bad luck along the way, but I also uh, used this to create this really nice route nowadays. 
That's definitely the compromise, isn't it? When you're making a bikepacking route, whether that's something that's sticking on the road or you've gone all the way through to like the mountain bike end of the spectrum. It's really, really great to get into these really remote places, but you've got to consider resupply, how you're going to get your water, food, if you have any sort of emergency. And there's this like sweet middle ground where you get expanses of wilderness punctuated by really vibrant little villages or towns that have like a beautiful ice cream parlor. Exactly. <laughs> and really great place to eat and get food and a water fountain. Yeah. And in the Netherlands, it's also a big part. I know you have this in the UK as well, but the Netherlands is really like almost too good at it. It's rules. So if you go into Dutch forest with your bicycle, you're uh, you're definitely gonna bump into a lot of rules, and they change okay. like every so so many kilometers. Um, so even like a, an average Dutch person on a bike will find it difficult to explain to someone else where you can and cannot ride your bike sometimes. So it was okay. kind of a puzzle to actually create this route that was, well, mm. like you say, has, has the nice towns, has the nice nature, has the beautiful spots that you don't want to miss, but also is completely legal and fun to ride. And that's, I think, also a big part of the success of the Green Divide. Yeah, I think that's um, a shame, but also kind of reassuring to hear because the rights of way system in the UK isn't always that clear okay. <laughs> so it's not just our problem if only we could all live in scotland where you've got right to roam and um as long as you're you know respecting the environment you can pretty much go almost anywhere yeah which yeah is fabulous so if you had to sum up what you get out of having cycling adventures in just a few words what would it be Ooh, um uh i'd say uh health freedom <laughs> fresh air uh, yeah. a, a peace of mind. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> All it these sounds things. very wholesome. That sounds very wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> but then recently you've done something which to me sounds fairly different, like much more challenging, right? Tell us about Grand Grunch. Yeah, that was something. Um, <laughs> I think there's, I, I like to, um, I like to do new stuff, like try new stuff uh, from time and time again. Um, I feel like if you go on an adventure, you can do uh, small adventures and big adventures. But to do something that's completely out of your comfort zone, um, that, that kind of triggers me. Um, and I had never done an ultra race before. Uh, I saw them online a lot. I am a, I'm definitely a dot watcher. So I've, <laughs> I've, I've, done, <laughs> I've done that. Uh, and then there was this uh, new ultra race off-road on the Canary Islands called Grand Guanche. And that triggered me straight away because I had never visited the Canaries Islands before. Um, and I, I've heard about that, that these are, that the islands are uh, great cycling paradises, um, that they uh, differ a lot from each other, the islands. And I just wanted to go and experience it. So I guess my main drive was not per se to race. <laughs> I know it's an ultra race, but I, I it wasn't about racing for me. It was more like experiencing that 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 kind mm. of riding, and also exploring the Canary Islands. Amazing! And were they just as different as you expected? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so the race starts in uh, the most northern island. So that's Lanzarote. 
And from there you go to Fuerteventura, uh, Gran Canaria, Tenerife, and you finish on La Palma. Um, and those are basically the main big islands. There's some a couple of smaller ones uh, in the neighborhood. But um, if you start on Lanzarote, for instance, I have never been there, but I, I, I kind of got the feel that is this is a warm, warm uh, Iceland, a warm Iceland. Okay, yeah, it's very volcanic. Yeah, so it's black. Uh, there's a couple of surf towns and those are all white. So it's a, like a black and whitish landscape. It's really special. Mm. Um, and then you go to Fuerteventura and it's quite close. And the elevation is kind of the same, but this it, the, the, the look and feel is so different because it kind of feels like the Moroccan desert. So it's wow. quite yellowish. And, um, and then the other three islands are actually more like... Uh, I'd say like Hawaii, you know, like one of those big volcanoes that just stick out of the ocean. Um, and the the elevation gain is so much bigger there as well. I think mm. you go up to like 2,000 meters or something. And on Tenerife, you even have the Taida, which is the biggest mountain of Spain. So that says a lot. Yeah, I think some of the um, pro cycling teams even go there to do altitude training. Yes. And yeah. I once had a road cycling holiday um, on Tenerife and took something ridiculous like four hours to climb Mount Tady. <laughs> yeah, but um, but I but this route was off road rather than on, right? Exactly, it was um, it was uh, the trail version, which means that it's gravel plus everything that you could expect with trail, uh, some <laughs> beachy sections, uh, uh, oh, single lush. tracks, and also some hiker bikes. Um, so that made it the rough version of this uh, this tour. There's uh, you can also ride Grand Guanche, uh, for instance, in March. There's the the actual gravel uh, edition, and uh, they just okay, rode cool. the uh, the road edition as well. Um, but I, I I took it upon me to do the hard one. <laughs> okay, so just to round up, Owen, do you think that adventuring by bike teaches you anything, or gives you any skills which you then take into other parts of your life? That's a difficult question. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, you know, I really like riding my bike and I like being outside and I like bikepacking and I like taking pictures uh, and creating content when I go out. Uh, I like inspiring people, but I'm not per se uh, convinced that there's this bigger goal to it or something or that you you know I, I i don't take a lot of big life lessons out of it i'm mostly just enjoying myself um, you're just there in the moment having a great time <laughs> yeah it's just like being outside and 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 just jumping on the bike uh is is ob obviously you'll get tired from riding your bike but it, it gives you immense energy as well um and that's basically what I do everything for, just to get out of the house and uh, be in some forest or on some Canary Island or wherever and uh, and enjoy life. Lush. So what have you got lined up for the rest of the year? Have you got any exciting adventures planned? Well, I've got some big adventures planned. Um, so, okay, so to name a few, I, I'm planning on going to, actually, to Iceland <laughs> and oh, okay. uh, ride the Rift, which is a, a gravel race over there. And I'm not really into racing, so I actually don't know why I did that. But <laughs> I'm also going <laughs> to go and it. bike back over there when I'm there. Um, and I'm still uh, planning on racing the 
uh, Atlas Mountain Race in Morocco. I've had a ticket for two years, but it keeps getting oh, postponed. Man. Yeah. We all know why. Um, <laughs> and there's uh, this actually this this trip, because I think a lot of people are now in this month of February thinking about planning stuff, like looking looking ahead, like what am I going to mm-hmm. do this summer and everything. And my advice would be not to obviously do that, like plan cool adventures for the summer, but you shouldn't like like put your life on hold during the winter. You should just like get out mm. and ride your bike now as well. And I think there's a lot of value in small time adventures, like just around the corner. I'd love to go day packing, for instance, just like in the winter, go out into the into the nature, in the forest and the heather, uh, brew myself a cup of coffee. Um, I don't know, ride maybe 30, 40 kilometers max, which is nice. next to nothing, yeah. but be out there and really have mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. You could cook yourself up something, you know, learn how to use a stove if it's not something that you're familiar with already. Exactly. And then you've got that in your pocket for later in the summer. Yeah, and, and it's think- also if you if you, you like if you're out there in in say Scotland, I really 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 enjoy those trips. Um mm. but that's that's always like the big trips, you know. That's the one maybe twice a year trips. And there's so many other days in the year that you'll also want to be happy, right? So yeah. it's so uh that's why I kind of like doing the small time adventures uh so much more actually. Interesting. Yeah, and like this time of year I'm not particularly motivated to go out camping. We camped out um between Christmas and New Year's and <laughs> Cool. It was minus two or something, and I've I've camped in that temperature before, but somehow this was different. Um, must have been the wind or something. And honestly, I've never been so cold in my life. And I woke up and threw up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this has put me off uh, wild camping in the winter for a little while. Um, but this time of year, like, it's great if you've got um, an Airbnb or a guest house or a little hotel or something like that. At the end of the day, you can do an overnighter. So you can get filthy if you're on a mountain bike or on your gravel bike or even on the road, you're probably going to get filthy. You can get there, have a shower, put your bike somewhere secure, go to the pub <laughs> exactly, <laughs> or the restaurant <laughs> um, and have a nice time. And it's kind of like posh packing or I don't know, there's probably posh some word for it. <laughs> Credit card touring. I just made that up. <laughs> I'm going to remember that one, posh packing. Um, yeah, but like like you say, just because it's winter doesn't mean that you can't get out and do this stuff and like try r- riding somewhere new. You could get like a train to somewhere different and ride home over a couple of days. Um, and like you say, it's not the grandest adventure that you've ever been on. Um, but these are, tends to be the ones that really stick in your mind, I find. Exactly. Just like don't don't waste these days. Of course, planning is really great because you're already in your mind, you're already there. But... Don't don't own like don't postpone life. Um, yeah, live a little. <laughs> Go out now. <laughs> There's great cycling clothes to keep you warm. Thank you very much for joining us, Owen. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much to Vidangi, Robin, Jack, and Erwin for joining us today on the Bike Radar podcast to talk all things adventure. As you could probably tell, it's one of my favourite subjects, and I hope that you'll be stoked on giving a go too if you haven't already. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. Make sure you give us five stars and subscribe if you haven't already. And see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bike Radar.